Grab a seat. If you've, uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can open to 1 Peter 3. If you don't have a Bible, just grab one out of the uh, cane boxes up the back. Very appropriate Middle Eastern looking woven cane box to hold our Bibles. But uh, 1 Peter 3, we'll, uh, we'll read a couple of verses and then I'll just pray uh, for us. Again. First Peter 3, uh, verses 14 to 16. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and uh, ask that you would uh, quiet our hearts now to receive from you. Holy Spirit, be at work. May we uh, bear fruit. May we read your word and be amazed at your word, be transformed by it and bear fruit as a result for your glory. Amen. Uh, what I want to do today is uh, have a little bit of a look uh, today and, and next week uh, for a couple of weeks uh, at apologetics, at what it means to give a defense to uh, non-Christians, to what it means to uh, steward uh, the Christian belief, to steward the Christian faith, uh, to treat it as it ought uh, to be treated. Uh, and First Peter gives us a little bit of a model of uh, what that looks like. So we'll be uh, working our way through uh, this passage today, but uh, sitting in the middle of it for a, a decent amount of time. Uh, let me just uh, start with a, a little bit of a preface, looking at uh, the, um, the, the section in this passage that says, But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope. Uh, what does it look like? Think about this uh, just quickly. What does it look like to honor Christ as holy? What does it look like to honor Christ who is someone who is uh, a separate, altogether separate and, and distinct and, and, uh, and is unique? What does it look like to honor Him? In this setting, in, in First Peter, it looks like being prepared to make a defense. It looks like preparing. It looks like uh, uh, thinking hard. It looks like uh, doubting and, and questioning things so that you can be prepared to make a defense. So we're talking about honor. Uh, what we're not talking about, uh, what I don't want you to hear at, at all this morning is the arm twist of apologetics. Often we talk about apologetics and uh, you, we watch uh, uh, YouTube clips and, and we read articles uh, and we listen to conversations and we go, oh, I've, I've got it. <laughs> I've, I've got the golden ticket. I've got the solution. And that's not what we're doing. And that's not what we want to do. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking and we're seeking to honor Christ in every sphere, in every conversation, in every relationship uh, that we might uh, honor Him and give Him the due that He deserves. 
Uh, so this means that we work, uh, we work really hard to engage with people who have questions. Christians can't be ignorant. We work really hard to, to meet and engage with people who have questions. Who knows the church hasn't always really been that good at this? And I'm not just saying leaders. I'm saying the church, the body of the church hasn't always been great at this. You know, just, just throw out a uh, hashtag pure faith. All right, just put the questions to the side. It's just faith, all right? Just, let's just stick to faith. It's like, you, you know, you're killing me, all right? We're, that's, that's not what we're doing. That is not what we're doing. And I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit later on. But what we have right now in our lives, uh, today, tomorrow, this week, is we have an opportunity to commend Christ, to place Him uh, lovingly and truthfully before as many people as we possibly can. So we prepare ourselves. Let me, uh, what, what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, give you uh, a couple of things I think uh, we need to know and then I want to look at a couple of uh, uh, common objections to Christian faith uh, and, and just look at some of the, the most uh, popular objections. Uh, one, the, the, the first thing I think we really need to know, the thing we really need to prepare is we need to know the gospel. We need to know what is the gospel. What is it? If someone asked you and they stopped you in the street and you had a, a brief conversation with them, how would you go with explaining the gospel to them? Why is it so precious? Why is it life-changing? Why would we guard it so closely? Why would, we, why would we be so protective over it? Do you know the gospel? Uh, we've, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times before here, uh, Mark Deva uh, does an exercise with all of his church, with every one of his church members, uh, when they sign up for church membership, he asks them to write the gospel in one word, in one sentence, in one paragraph, and in a page. How would you respond to that? In one sentence, what is the gospel? Think about it in your head. Think about a page. Could you even write a page? Like, what would, it, would it just be some, some scrambling, sort of like, oh, there's this, oh yeah, there's this thing. And how, how, how is your comprehension of the gospel? Do you understand it? Look, there's, there's a number of churches, we're not going to sit on this for too long, but there's a number of churches that, that don't really guard this. And they teach all sorts of unbiblical beliefs. Just, look, just love God and your life's going to work out, all right? Okay, everything's going to be fine. He will, he will bless your life. Just you watch. Just watch the bank account grow, all right? If you've got enough faith and God's, not, God, God's got enough strength, just, would you just name it and claim it, all right? Come on. So you guys are, you guys are educated. That's good. You're, uh, you know, let, me, let me give you another one. Your faith plus your works saves you. All right? Your faith saves you, but, but actually, no, it's your, your work saves you. And it's in your doing that you actually receive salvation. So you better come to church. You, know, you, be, you better adhere to the rules because you're, you're done otherwise. Let me give you one more. God, um, God sorts out, you know, God's really good because he, he's just, all my worries have gone and he makes my life work again. Everything just works. Are you kidding me? We need to guard the gospel. We need to guard the heart of the gospel because it is so precious. So how well do you know it? We need to know the gospel. The second thing I want uh, to commend to you is we need to understand the culture we live in. Consider, uh, consider 
uh, at first glance, how your thinking and how your, your priorities, how your decisions that you make day to day are informed by the culture that you live in, how, how your decisions align with the world. How are you actually, at the moment, subconsciously educated by the world? How are you informed uh, by the world? Think about it. Do, do you make decisions thinking about what others would want you to do? rather than what would honour Christ. You know, so much of our material purchases is about making a statement. If, if you're uh, under 40, you've probably heard of Beats headphones. That is a statement. That is a massive statement because headphones are no longer just about listening to music. They're actually about fashion. And you purchase these headphones because that's what other people would want, want to see me wearing because they are cool. And, and subtly, the world is actually informing your purchase decisions. Uh, the, the car you drive, that's a statement. Just wait till the fellas see me rocking in in this thing, you know. 12-inch lift, 35-inch tires. I'm exaggerating, all right? It's a joke. Uh, a lot of what we do is, is making a statement. A culture informs the decisions we make. Do you live, um, think about this more, do you live in a way that models the world, your, your lifestyle? Think about uh, hedonism. Do, do you believe this? Life is about your pleasure. Life is about your comfort. Buy as much as you can. Use as much as you can to wring the most out of life before it's over. Or save as much as you can so when you retire, you can stuff the grandkids and live it up. We're out of here, man. We got 20 years on the road. See you later. I want to be as comfortable as possible. Do you believe that? Is life about your pleasure? Do you fall for hedonism? Or, or do, you do you live in a way that models the world in your immorality? Everyone, everyone sleeps with their girlfriend now. It's just, what, it's just what people do. Everyone dabbles in all kinds of immorality. It's it's like, it's just, it's just cool. It's fine. It's just get with it, all right? One more thing to mention on this uh, note in terms of understanding the culture we live in is, is uh, one of the things that really defines culture is, is secular humanism. Uh, is this sort of post-Christian uh, uh, culture, secular humanism. The rise of, of this, of secular humanism in recent years has meant a, a, a cultural shift in thinking about Christians and faith, generally for the worst. <laughs> public Christianity and public Christians today generally are ridiculed. That's nonsense. <laughs> and sometimes that's not undeserved. Uh, let's, let's face it, sometimes then there's some Christians that need to be ridiculed, absolutely. But uh, there, there appears to be a shift away from Christian morals and values. Uh, Dan Story, a commentator, says this, We live today in what many historians refer to as a plural, pluralistic and post-Christian world. What they mean is that Christianity has ceased to be the dominant force controlling Western cultures, religious beliefs and practices, moral standards and other social norms. As a result, more and more non-believers and even believers are questioning Christianity's authenticity and demanding proof of its truthfulness. Now think about that. that, is, that I think that is really insightful. 
Christianity has ceased to be the dominant force controlling Western cultures, religious beliefs and practices, moral standards and other social norms. That is, think about what's going on at the moment. Think about the hot topics and apply that and you go, oh yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Sure, you know, that, that, that is a really helpful lens. Three generations ago, uh, you adapted the beliefs of your family. That's just the way it was. You were, you were, a, uh, you were a, a, a Catholic, you were a, a, a Protestant, you were, you know, you, just, you were just in the streamline, you just swam in that and that was it. That was the way you lived. That's not, that is much less likely now. It's, it's popular now to maintain really loose beliefs about life, to be uh, so-called tolerant, to experiment with your identity and your body and your sexuality and maintain a, a really shallow, really short-term pragmatic belief. Whatever works, all right? Whatever works this week, that's what I believe. And then next week, look, we'll, just, we'll, we'll address next week when we get to it. Look at... Uh, to, to, to close this out, look at the, uh, the movies we watch, the, the music we listen to, the habits we form, the things we glorify. Uh, for time's sake, I won't stop here, but with discernment, listen to culture and, and learn from it. So listen, pay attention to what's going on. Look at the top charts across uh, media and look at what is educating and directing culture. How can you understand yourself and others more through those things look at look at top charts i encourage you i I invite you to obviously with discernment look at the things that are that are most prevalent that that people are most watching look at uh uh, the movie logan what does that tell us about the world Uh, look at uh the, the netflix hit series look at stranger things Look at uh, 13 Reasons. Look at Peppa Pig. Look at what's that. Look at, honestly, ask the question what that is teaching your kids. Goodness gracious. Look at um, Ed Sheeran. He has been the top album in iTunes for, for a, a good length of time now. Look at the way he actually educates and informs culture. We pick this up, right? I, I often find myself singing a song that reflects my mood. And I'll just like, what is that? What's going on? I, I, will, I will sing something, just something from anywhere, not, not even something that I've heard that day, that will reflect how I'm feeling. And we actually tell ourselves these, these stories. Culture teaches us stories. The last thing uh, before we look at um, some, of the, uh, uh, of, uh, some of the most uh, prevalent objections, uh, and this comes from First uh, Peter f- Three. The next line there, it says, Always being prepared to make it offense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. We need to understand people's concerns and questions, and we need to make a defense. So I want to look at uh, a series of concerns that you might come across conversationally and consider how the faithful Christian might respond. Because Christianity isn't simply blind faith. There, there is reason and there is truth that we cling to. Peter compels us. What is the reason for this hope? Give me the reason. Give me some, something to hold to. Give me some substance. So if you're sitting out there today suggesting that Christianity is only blind faith, 
you will find yourself defenseless against the experience of tragedy or the, the questions of a smart skeptic. If you are going to cling to blind faith, you're going to hurt because tragedy is going to come and you are gonna, you're going to have a bunch of questions internally that are really going to hurt you and they're going to be really, really difficult. It's only in wrestling with objections to your faith that you can provide grounds and reasons for your beliefs to skeptics, including yourself. You, uh, you also are a skeptic at times. Listen to that. Listen to the objections and respond accordingly. Right, let, me give you a, uh, let me give you a couple of common objections. And, and a lot of these are framed within a, a secular worldview because that's, uh, that's what's in at the moment. That's what's serving up. The first one is this. Who are you to say what is morally right and wrong? How dare you? How intolerant? Who do you think you are? And this, the, the assertions behind this is there's no God. There aren't absolute truths. Everything that is to know is here and now. There's no meaning. Ethics, they're a human construct. That's what we invented. We've developed that over time. Life is meaningless and we create meaning with our choices. Look at, uh, look at the way this is in Hollywood. Look, gone, gone are the neat endings in Hollywood. Like It is all like... It is all, it used to be black and white and happily ever after, but it's all grey now. Like, look at some of the common movies. Look at the, um, that the hero has been replaced for the anti-hero, the, the amoral misfit. Look at movies like uh, Deadpool. Look at uh, Logan. That's, Logan is the, the X-Men movie uh, uh, centred on the, the character Wolverine. Uh, look at um, Suicide Squad. I haven't seen it, but you don't, you don't even need to watch the movie to understand basic premise. Read IMDb. Look at what that tells us about morality. Look at, um, uh, think Batman versus Superman. We're just like, man, gone are the neat endings. Goodness gracious. It's like, it is all amoral now. How do you know what is right from wrong, really? This is Harvey Dent's words from The Dark Knight. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. And you go, wow, that's really poetic. It's like, yeah, good on you. That's, that's wow, that is so, ho- so, ho- so hopeful. Listen to, um, this is one of Dawkins, Richard Dawkins' most famous uh, quotes. He says, The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Doesn't that warm your heart? The universe has exactly the properties we should expect if there is no design or no meaning. Nothing but indifference. Uh, one more here, Penny Wong, uh, a, uh, a politician, uh, was uh, recently uh, quoted in, a, in an article. Uh, on. She commented on secular culture. She says this, uh, and sorry, this is talking about her in the third person. Referencing her own faith, Wong said that a secular society is not one characterized by disregard for God, but rather the personal freedom of its members to hold God in whatever regard they wish. I'll just, I'll do whatever I want with him, all right? He will fit in with me and my life and the picture 
that I have for my life. And, and let me, um, let me uh, Lewis says this, uh, the problem, and here's the problem. Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of and who do not feel that they need forgiveness. In this worldview, there's nothing to repent of because there's no meaning. There's nothing right or wrong. Why would I need forgiveness? I feel okay, right? So who are you to say what is morally right and wrong? How intolerant. Let me, um, let me give you a, uh, a really simple response. Uh, if God does not exist, objective values do not really exist. Objective values do exist. Therefore, God exists. Let's move on. I'm kidding. It's a joke. But that's really, this is the premise through which you move uh, uh, through in this sort of conversation. The obstacle here in this worldview is that there isn't... Now, this is the most common one. And this is the one where you just are banging your head on a wall. There isn't a standard to appeal to. You just, there's, there is no foothold. If, you, if what they are saying is true, who's to say I'm right or wrong? Who's to say you're right or wrong? We lose the ground to be able to say what is right and wrong. Truth and illusion become indistinguishable. So I don't know. What's the difference? Is there such a thing? It's a self-defeating statement. The, the important thing to note, though, is that Western society could be considered one of the most moral cultures in history. Now, think about, again, think about what's going on at the moment culturally. Think about the hot topics. We are asked to maintain standards of equality which cover wider and wider classes of people. It's just getting bigger. Equality for everyone. We want to bridge more and more kinds of difference and improve more and more in our lives. However, if we ask the question, why should we live like this? Why should we live in these ways? Why should we support equality? Why should we guard rights and sacrifice to help the poor? Our cultural institutions can't give an answer. Yes, we should live like this. Yes, equality for all. Yes, sacrifice for the poor. Why? I'm tongue-tied because I'm a secular humanist, because there isn't anything right, there isn't anything good, there isn't anything noble. There is only the meaning you create for yourself. Throw that in the face of someone fighting for rights. <laughs> See how they feel about that one. No, gently, lovingly. If we create our values individually, on what basis could we urge anyone else to accept them? We can't. Or if we create those values collectively, someone might say, well, no, it's not individual. We create them collectively as a society, as a nation. How then can we commend them to any other culture? We need objective morality. Without it, we are, we are lost. There are no boundaries otherwise. Ultimately, we need God. We need His truth. We need the liberation of His truth. The second one, there can't only be one religion. How ignorant and intolerant to believe that Jesus is the only way to God in a religiously plural world. There's many paths to God. 
Uh, let, me, let me just throw out a few thoughts while we wait for this. Uh, one of the common uh, pictures that uh, people use when they talk about a religiously plural society, or, or the most common picture, is the blind man and the elephant. Uh, you might have heard about this. What they suggest is that we're all looking at different parts of the elephant. And I'll show you a picture in a second, but it's like one man is holding the trunk and he's, he's framing his understanding of religion by the trunk. Well, it's, it's smooth and it's a bit bendy and, and uh, it's a bit wet. And there's another man standing here uh, holding the leg and he's going, well, it's really, really firm and it's strong uh, and, and it's sort of leathery. And there's another man holding the tail and he's like a teary and it's, it's smelly. And there's like, and everyone, what, what they suggest is that everyone is just looking at a part of the elephant. And that's what it means to be religiously plural, is that um, we're all looking at different parts and everyone has something good to offer. You know, your insight into the elephant is really good. And that's helpful and we can live with that. And your insight is good as well. And uh, that will be helpful as well. Have we got something? All right. Uh, the, the Dalai Lama uh, suggests... Uh, well, no, I won't, I won't even recap. We'll, um, we will move on. Uh, what, let, let, me, um, let me comment on this. Uh, and this is a true story. Having taught the Holocaust... A professor tasks history students to compose argumentative essays. Some claim conspiracy. Others advocate for or against war. Many mourn for the Jews. Essay, each essay is returned. A grades all. All of them are graded A's. The essence of each perspective, she explains, is to learn from one's mistakes. Well done. Now, unity is commendable. Sorry, is, is desirable. But is, is that commendable? Isn't that, isn't that a little bit too hard to swallow? Let me offer a response. Uh, this, is, this is really obvious. Uh, each religion offers essentially incompatible exclusive claims. Atheism, pantheism, monotheism. These religions cannot be reconciled. They are worlds and worlds apart. Uh, Anderson, uh, a commentator, says this, A God who both is and isn't, who simultaneously embraces and opposes idolatry, protection and destruction of children, is not simply multifaceted. This God is a liar, inconsistent, arbitrary, and thus unbelievable. It just cannot work. You cannot have that sort of God. Now, now what, what they're actually doing is they're repackaging radically different views as sharing a universal essence. They're one and the same. And that is, that is more imperialistic than Christian exclusivity. That implies, think about this, that implies that pluralists alone have perfect vision to reinterpret all beliefs as common. Where the world's religious majority see contradiction. Everyone else sees contradiction. It's like, if you think about the elephant, it's like the pluralists are the, are the one person sitting above the whole scene, looking down at everyone grab the elephant. They're saying, uh, I see, I see what you guys are all doing. I see the, the confusion here. And the pluralist becomes the one person that is right and that is true. Christians confess that God revealed himself through Jesus as the one person path to God, the only path. 
If, if this pluralism is true, it necessarily rejects Christianity. They are incompatible. The third uh, one to look at is, is this, uh, and this is, is, is common, and this is a, a very common objection when you, in conversations, I've heard this, in conversations, uh, science has disproved Christianity. The advancement of science and, and evolutionary science has made belief in God unnecessary, and it's obsolete. Christianity is outdated. It used to, we used to believe it, but we've got, we've got our science and we've got facts now that give us proof about the world around us. A true patriot, right? This is a free country with conditions, all right? You know, you can believe whatever you want, except if you bring it into the science classroom. And what he, what he presents, this is Neil uh, deGrasse, DeGrasse, I don't know how to say his middle name, uh, Tyson. He's the presenter of uh, the new series Cosmos. Uh, I don't know the subtitle, but uh, uh, you know, a very uh, 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 majestic show exploring the universe and exploring the realities of the universe and, and life as we know it. And he's, he is uh, a respected scientist uh, on, uh, on, on a number of matters. And uh, he's, he's saying it's essentially this. Religious, like, it's, it's outdated. It, it is not based on objective reality. I'm happy with science because this is objective reality. Religion, however, you can, I don't care what you believe. Just keep it out of uh, the classroom. This is, uh, this is not uh, uncommon. The thing to notice, though, and just to offer a, a brief uh, response here, the thing to notice is that all doubts, however skeptical and cynical they seem, are really a set of alternate beliefs. You need to question your belief. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. So that is a belief. That is a, there is a beginning of a worldview there. So you can, uh, you can criticize all you want, but all doubt is a set of alternate beliefs. You're believing something if you doubt something. So it's position A, position B. You have to be at position B to question position A because you're somewhere else. Let me give you a, a couple of responses to this. Consider the fact of science. Now, this is really common. Consider what science actually is. Science is observation and experimentation of the physical and natural world. Science is observing something as a means of explaining it. So to be true, science doesn't cause things. Science explains things right? So it, it doesn't cause anything. Science wasn't responsible for anything. It explains things. Sometimes we, we talk about science as if it caused things. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, Miracles, uses a brilliant illustration to help us see the place of science within the broader place of life. Now, let me read this. If I put six pennies into a drawer on Monday and six more on Tuesday, the laws decree that other things being equal, I shall find 12 pennies there on Wednesday. But if the drawer has been robbed, I may find, in fact, only two. Something will have been broken, the lock of the drawer or the laws of England, but the laws of arithmetic will not have been broken. Yes, it is true that science, the natural law, explains that other things being equal, A, 
will result in B. If I put the pennies in the drawer, I can come back two, later, two days later and I'll find the pennies. The problem is there's, all things are not equal. There are more elements at play than simply science. Not only that, science isn't causing things to happen, but it's an attempt to understand and explain why they happen. But the question is, uh, what, what do you do when your framework, when science as your framework doesn't offer you enough to answer life's most troubling questions? Do, do you concede there might be more to life than that? I, c I can't use a 30 centimeter ruler to prove that my friend's subwoofer stereo in his car makes no noise. It's the wrong tool, right? Like it, do, it do, just does not make sense. Science is concerned with material only. God is, God is spirit. And as such, it has little to say. Yes, yes, there are plenty of arguments for God's existence in science. But science can't speak to our core needs and, and identity as humans. It has limitations. If matter is all that exists, if, if the cosmos is all that there ever was or will be, then what is love? What is justice? What is hope? They're mere chemical processes in the brain. They're illusions. Let me give you one more response and I'll, um, I'll close. Uh, Keller, Keller says this. He writes a, a great book. Um, called The Reason for God. He says this about uh, Jürgen uh, Habermas, or Habermas. He says, One of the world's most prominent philosophers, Jürgen, was for decades a defender of the Enlightenment view that only secular reason should be used in the public square. Uh, Habermas was recently startled the philosophical, sorry, has recently startled the philosophical establishment, however, with a changed and more positive attitude toward, toward religious faith. He now believes that secular reason alone cannot account for what he calls the substance of a human. Listen to this. He argues that science cannot provide the means by which to judge whether its technological in inventions are good or bad for human beings. To do that, we must know what a good person is. Science can't tell us what a good person is. There needs to be something else. And science cannot adjudicate morality or define such a thing. Social sciences may be able to tell us what human life is, but not what it ought to be. What's, he's, just, he's saying science isn't big enough. Yeah, yeah, it tells us how things work, but it doesn't tell us why or, or how it should be. It doesn't give us a big enough framework. The last, uh, the last section in First uh, Peter 3 says this, Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. That's, uh, that's what we need. We need to love people. We need to love people with the truth. There was a uh, McCrindle uh, report released uh, a few months ago. If you can skip forward. Uh, to, the, uh, to the infographics, it's called Faith and Belief in Australia. I think it was 
like uh, March or something it was released that tells us about the state of religion in Australia. Let me give you a few things to help you uh, uh, sort of uh, form a bit of an understanding of what's going on. Two-thirds of Australians follow a religion or have spiritual beliefs. That's huge, right? Now, only, only uh, I think 8% of that is, sorry, 7% are active practices. 15% are churchgoers, but that is a massive portion of Australia. Half of the people who identify as non-religious prefer a scientific and rational, evidence-based approach to life. If you look on the right there, why no religion? I prefer science. That's the common objection. I prefer facts and proof. So I'm saying, you need to start to think about these things. If you want to love people well, you need to be thinking about this. 1.5 million Australian adults do not know any Christians. That's 8%. And that's 1 in 10 for Gen Y. 10% of 23 to 37-year-olds do not know any Christians. That's crazy, right? Like, that is crazy. The greatest influence on the opinions of Christians, I think this is on the next page, uh, but, but parents and, uh, sorry, uh, parents and family, I think, or friends and family, if you skip to the next page, yeah, the greatest uh, influence is parents and family. I wonder what influence you're extending. I wonder what influence of, of, of Christianity you're extending to your, to your non-Christian family or to your friends. I wonder, yeah, sorry, that's the next one, is, is friends and, and networks. The most attractive thing is seeing people live out genuine faith. The most attraction uh, reason for, I think if you go back, sorry, back one. Yep, no, that'll do. The, the most attractive thing is seeing people live out genuine faith. That's 16% of people. The second thing is life trauma. What attracts people to, to Christianity? Life trauma. 13% of people said that. You go through really hard stuff and all of a sudden you're questioning everything. You're going, oh, there's got to be more than this. There has got to be more to life. There has got to be an answer to some of these desires and some of these longings inside of me. And, and the third thing there is, uh, is testimonies. 12%, sorry, it's two slides on, Geordie. 12% uh, say a testimony from a friend attracts them to faith. I wonder how many people you've actually shared your testimony with. Have you told people why you're a Christian? Have you told people what... Jesus has done in your heart what he's done for you. And, and this is uh, fascinating. The most repellent thing. Yeah, yeah, on the right there, at the top right, the most repellent thing. And this is, I was like, what is this? Celebrities sharing their faith. That, I don't, you know what I think? Oh, sorry, hearing from public figures and celebrities who are examples of the faith. You know what I think part of that is? I think part of that is like a tall poppy syndrome where some celebrity is just up there just like receiving some award and they just like the token, oh, I just want to thank God, you know, because he got me here. And everyone watching TV is going, ah, oh, come on, you know, don't be a clown. You're just, that's a throwaway line. But look at the next two there. Uh, miraculous stories. That's a repellent. Miraculous stories. A lot of us sometimes think, well, this will get them. You know what happened? And they're going, like cringe factor 1,000, you know, that's really hurting me right now. And the last one is philosophical debates and discussion. What's your approach to people? Is this a, is this a loving conversation or is this like, all right, you know, let's, let's, 
Let's fire it up. Let's go. Let's get into it. Let's have a big debate about something. They're going, look, this isn't really helping me. I don't really see this as, as attractive. Now, Craig says this, William Craig says this, no one in the final analysis really fails to become a Christian because of lack of arguments. He fails to become a Christian because he loves darkness rather than light and wants nothing to do with God. You can, um, you can twist people's arms all day, but it's, it's not because of a lack of arguments. It's because I'm happy the way I am. I love darkness. I'm, I'm just, I'm comfortable. I'm fine, thanks. I'm all right. How would you respond to that? I, I want to suggest to you that the best apologetic you could give someone is a personal one. Who is Christ to you? What does your faith mean to you? How do you, how do you respond to trouble? How do you respond to suffering? How do you walk with people? Are you, are you reasonable in conversation? Are you, when you share your faith, are you reasonable? Approachable? Or are you like that Christian guy that they sort of put in the corner because it's like, you can't have a conversation with him. He is just, there is, you know, it's like, woo. It's hard to talk to. Let me, uh, let me close uh, with this, with, uh, with uh, two calls. The, the first uh, call I want to, um, to extend to you is uh, listen to the start of the other uh, verse that I read uh, to you. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Cling to that. What are you afraid of? The Christian looks at life through a radically different lens. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. The rest of the world is running for their lives away from death and suffering. The Christian, all right, if this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. They see Christ's blessing in suffering. And that is a radical testimony. The second call that I want to extend is to join in on hope. That is the call from every Christian. That is the call from Christ and from every Christian to join in on hope. There isn't hope outside of Jesus. There is only false hope. Come to Christ with your questions and with your doubts. If you are not saved today, I want to I ask you where your hope lies. Where do you find hope? When you look at your life, Where's your hope? And I invite you to, um, to consider Christ. Let me pray for us and we'll close. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your truth. Uh, that you are the source of truth. That you are the source uh, of good, of goodness. And we, we look to you. We look to you as our, as our uh, hope, as our, uh, as, our, um, as our sure foundation, as our bedrock. God, your, your holy scriptures and, and 
the way you've created the world as the, uh, the pictures uh, for how you would have us to live, for why things are the way they are, for, uh, for answers about uh, science and, and morality and suffering. We thank you for those gifts. Would you uh, give us the wisdom and the discernment and the strength to steward them well, to love people uh, well, that we might answer their questions, that we might respond to their doubts, that we wouldn't be ignorant and assuming, but that we would, be, that we would have an open ear and, and a slow, thoughtful response. Would you give us strength for this? Amen.